Hey, it's your girl, Chanae Ogwamake. And I am Lisa Leslie, and this is Front and Center. We do it with our own little flavor, right? We do it with our own little seasoning, right, Lisa? But you know I'm seasoning, and you are what? Flavor. So we will be what? Front, Front and, and Center. center. <laughs> Lisa, 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 Lisa. <laughs> We made it. Girl. We have the we, results. We listen, made when it. We say the word we. We talking about. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Now we're here, girl. Everybody, all of us, uh, all of us, <laughs> because we are still. And I, you know, I just got to say this as Black people, we are so inclusive. Everybody's invited to the picnic. You the know cookout. I mean? Everybody's invited to the barbecue. We really have such an open heart and loving to people. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And so we may not be, we don't know if we're not the chosen people or not, because I don't know, but <laughs> we looking like the kind of people who are so forgiving and loving and just really happy about keeping the faith, mm, right? I mean, spreading it. We heard him, right? Spread, spread the, the faith. faith. Yes. So I'm just, girl, with Biden, then Kamala, Oh, I know. My gosh. I'm like, just tell me this. Okay. How great do you feel? This is so real to like see a person that looks like you in that position, a leader of the world. Just come on, give her props really quick. Come on. Look, I don't cry. I am a thug when it comes to my emotions. <laughs> it got me three times because, you know, a lot of people have been saying like, well, what are the realities of what the situation is? No one politician can save everything. I'm like, we all know that. That's why I feel like as soon as the results were announced, it wasn't like, thank you, Jesus. It was more so, okay, let's get to work. We have a lot yeah. of work to do because this country mm -hmm. is really divided and we need to start bringing it back together. But to give her props, this is like the three parts that got me. One was when she was talking pretty much for all women because this is a moment where women no matter where you fall, are seen because you see a woman there, right there. As and let me just drop in there right now because you got 90% of the black vote. You got women. So we had black and brown, the indigenous people. We had women really front and center elevating and pushing and supporting another woman. And, and speaking of history, like Kamala's one, but Stacey Abrams deserves her props too because speaking of women right. delivering, she went from her own biggest tragedy of losing her own race, converted. She said she gave her 10 days of like, what the F? And then turned it over to activating over 800,000 voters in Georgia, which was a part of flipping Georgia blue, which could, which could potentially flip the government structure so that President-elect Biden can actually get some, some stuff done. I saw that mm -hmm. one, one with Kamala, I was crying. Another when um, President-elect Biden started pounding on the pulpit talking about you guys have my black, uh, my back, my black. Yes, you have my back, yes. you know, the African-American community, because a lot of people keep saying like, well, what has he done or what will he do? We point to a lot of things. I think what people don't understand is that we just want to feel seen and respected as human beings so that we can operate in a world where we are seen and respected as human beings. That's first. There's no other solution but being seen and treated humanely. So that's another moment. And then you are a teacher now because that's the nature of which you are operating your household, taking care of your kids, educating them. And so for like another fun part for my family was 
hearing how he shouted out his wife, Dr. Jill Biden. Yes, and he's like, amen. we got an educator in the White House. My mom, I, I've always said it, like started off as a special education teacher, just got her PhD in education. Education has always mattered to our family. So that was like yeah. one of those things where it's like, wow, like that hit our family. And I'm sure it hits your family the same, but it just hit different. But like, I know Lisa, we talk about election day. It wasn't day, it was a week. How was your week leading into the results? Real honest, day one, when we were watching these states flipping blue, red, the numbers, I was, I only slept three hours, Janae. And I was so like in a stupor. I was really sad when I went to bed because it was like I couldn't watch any longer. It's like 3 a.m. The kids will be up at 6. Uh, I was sad and I was like, man, here's the, 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 the truth. I was honestly shocked that it was such a tight race in almost every state. I mean, you know, there were some states that were obviously bigger winners than others. But like the final 12 or so, yes. But it was just, I was just in shock. I really did not think that so much of our country was this divided, that really believed in the process and the system that he, 45, had implemented. I, I was really shocked, seriously. Like I was sad for the thought that we were like, really? Like we are, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, America has always told us who they are. We've always tried to believe something different. We are founded in a faith of all types of faith, but in faiths of hope. Yes. Hope is what keeps us going. Love keeps us going. And faith, you know, hope, love, faith. Is that the three? Hope, faith, hope, and love. Uh, Correct. Yeah, right. That's Corinthians. And it, I, I think that is the spirit of what we're banking on is just that we have to pray for the hearts of mankind around the world that we can get to a place of like really seeing each other black, white, brown, we are a melting pot of people from the beginning of time spread across this earth. And we cannot be judgmental based on the color that we came out. My God, like out of all the things. What I found when I lived in Italy and I always tell this story is that I learned that there are good and bad people on this planet. They just exist and they come in all colors, race, creeds, different beliefs. And we just have to learn to meet people there. You're either dealing with a person who's good or bad. And then you have to just accordingly. Are there criminals that are black? Absolutely. Brown? Absolutely. White? Absolutely. Like there's so many that we have to understand that there are just good and bad people and get to a place where we can recognize that yep. and not judge people based on the color of their skin. And I feel like it was a huge step by day two that burden felt like a little bit more lifted. We had a fight, thank God for those mail-in ballots, for all Ooh. the fight and push that we've done, just getting people to get out and get registered to vote. We've done it, you know, you and I have participated in so many platforms and just trying to use our voice. So many people have, so many celebrities. So I'm just thankful for the whole process. But like you said, the work is just begun and we have to now figure out local um, ways to impact our communities locally, how to continue to educate. And I, uh, again, I love the fact that Jill is an educator. You know, I was a spokesperson for American Federation for Children about choice and about education. My kids know that we are a family of faith, a family of education and a family of sports. And we, we try to go in that order. So 
Um, I, I'm just like so that. happy. Yeah. I like that foundation. I know it's been really a long process. You know what's funny? I have been, like you, staying up so late into the, or early into the morning mm -hmm. to follow John King do his thing when it comes to that map, the updating of votes, the implications on what the electoral college status meant for these states. I was transfixed. Maybe it's the scandal house of cards um, type of right. political <laughs> theater that I've already been hooked to. But um, it was funny because Saturday morning when this was called, I was up at three just watching until like six or seven. I can't remember like the exact moment. Let me tell you, the... 45 seconds that I couldn't account for where I probably just drifted for a moment. I looked at the TV again. It said elected president. I was like, what? I've been yeah. up this whole time in the 45 seconds that I sort of can't account for. And so I had to yes. rewind my TV and then I watched it all over again. So it was funny. But like one thing I will say is for a lot of people, which is upwards of over 75 or so million people that voted for change, there are 71 or so million people that my, are grieving what they thought was something good for them. That mm -hmm. is hard for me to reconcile. But again, like this country is a place where we have to meet people where they are and hopefully bridge things together so that we can realize we got to do better by all, not just my group, your group, it's our group. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, I think it's important for people to understand like the work doesn't stop now. There are midterms that come up. Uh, Georgia still has two runoff elections. Like there's so many big implications to everything. And I think we're at the point where now we have to continue to hold those people we put in office accountable. It's not like clock in, clock out every four years. I feel like hopefully the momentum we had by being at home these last few months really carries us over. But I do feel a sigh of relief because I do think a lot of people are feeling seen in this moment. And also we're seeing that like, we can actually do something that changes something. Even yeah. if you don't agree with that change, there's a lot of people that felt like maybe this is impossible. The system may not ever see us. I feel like Lisa, it sort of has shifted. And now hopefully everyone's using the word heal. Well, I, I the other thing that I thought was awesome that came out of this is the, uh, the power of black people joining together and we have to give a shout out, I mean, to not just Stacey Abrams, who did an amazing job, but also our previous guest, Latasha Brown, another voice in the community out there from state to state, creating coalitions together more than a boat, creating a coalition of actors and athletes, using our voices and our platforms. I mean, it was just so many different groups, but somehow we all figured out to come together. And I'm just hoping that we can continue to do that and supporting one another, whether it is through, you know, products and, and movies and businesses and just learning to get that community to be supportive of its own community and protective of its own community and protective of its own people and have truly have my brothers back. And, you know, I just don't want us to fall back into yep. old ways, but being in a place of understanding how to really protect one another and that protection should come from first learning to continue to protect the black woman because out of us not being protected we've had so much strength but we would love to have other people join us other women join us other brand black brown white women join us other black men to join us and continue to support us in our journeys and in our business endeavors and in our families and i think that that's my hope 
for the future that we can learn to continue to work together and generate more wealth, yeah. wealth that we've never really had the opportunity to generate collectively. Yeah, I think that's super important. And it's funny because we launched this podcast with the notion of protecting black women. And I think that's one of the things that you're now seeing why. Like black women tend to vote wholeheartedly to protect their own communities. Black women will go above and beyond. And now a lot of, I think a lot of people didn't understand what that meant. Now they're seeing the, the actual data in which yeah. black women are mobilizing, organizing, doing it collectively. And that actually has real power. And now that power is being acknowledged. You heard it from vice president-elect. You heard it from yeah. president-elect. And so now, again, it comes back to like, you cannot be what you cannot see. Well, they're finally seeing a community. And I feel like that is what a lot of people feel is the most cathartic part, you know, just being able to like, wow, like I'm being seen, which means like yeah. now young girls are seeing that this is the world of possibilities that we're creating together. But yeah. you know, it's funny because Lisa, there have been a lot of people, like this is a moment of the now, but a lot of people that have found success now in creating that culture of change have been doing it for a minute. And so, you know, when we come back, I'm super excited because we're gonna be talking to an activist, an yeah. actor. He looked good too. Sorry, shame me or not. Okay, but I'm just gonna have to say he looked good too. <laughs> Kendrick Sampson, um, because you know, it's interesting. We know the results now, but when we talked to Kendrick, it hadn't mm -hmm. yet been called. But also I like to say that no matter what the results were at the time, there's no stopping this man. <laughs> oh, his knowledge that he drops for us and for everybody out there listening, it, it's timeless. So he's a true, I think you just had him almost like an abolitionist, you know, he, yes. he's moving the marker in a way that's not necessarily most popular, but in a way that is definitely necessary for all of our community. So you guys stay tuned and we will be right back with Kendrick Sampson. Let's go. Okay, now, Kendrick Sampson is an actor, an activist, an advocate for justice. He is also most known for The Vampire Diaries. Watch that. Grace Point, How to Get Away with Murder. Watch that. White Famous Supernatural. Watch that. Uh, the Flash. Watch that. So yes, I am a stan. I may be a creep, but you are super talented. And uh, most recently known for his portrayal as Nathan in HBO's, I mean, critically acclaimed Insecure. Uh, watch that. So like you are operating in a super high ratio when it comes to my TV like library. And again, I'm like a, I'm a weirdo. I watch everything. Um, but most importantly, Kendrick is also the co-founder of Build Power, an organization which provides training for artists and actors to use their voices for social change. So welcome to the show, Kendrick. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. I, that was a very kind intro, <laughs> especially coming from you. My God, you know, I'm a fan. So absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, we appreciate it too. Um, you know, we are both from Houston, Texas. We already established that I have a 281, you have a 713 and 832. Um, but you know, it's funny because I was knocking on doors, pretty much pounding the pavement, trying to help people vote. And you've been doing the same thing, um, knocking on doors and canvassing leading up to the election. 
And, you know, coming back from being a poll worker, an election clerk, it was just a transformational experience. It was so much fun. I got to do it with my sisters. And similarly, it's nice to see my kinfolk and my skinfolk doing the same thing. Um, You've been super vocal. And that's one thing I've loved. You've been super vocal about, you know, even voter suppression uh, and how that can be a factor. We all know what it's like, you know, how it is being from Texas, sometimes being othered, but also empowering your community. Um, What were some of the things that you observed, you know, while being in Texas, and also now that you're a resident also in California, because those are two different worlds. Two different worlds, completely different worlds. But, you know, strange uh, commonalities. And yeah, we were in Fifth Ward and uh, Mo City, and uh, we had a march downtown um, to the polls. And some of the things, you know, um, I was with Tarsha Jackson out there, who's running for city council for District B, representing uh, Acres Homes and and a bunch of Northside. And but I, you know, I I noticed that a lot of people, our people, uh, were not necessarily planning on voting. Um, a lot of our people were or had already. The older folks. They were like, we came to the door, knock on the door, and they were like, I already voted. Thank you very much. Thank you, baby. They, that's nice. I appreciate that. Um, but the younger folks, um, a lot of the men, uh, unfortunately, you know, were on papers or something like that and couldn't vote um, and didn't know anybody who wasn't, and which spoke to one of the reasons we're fighting so hard, right? Uh, so many people have been touched by the, the legal system, the criminal injustice system and um it's a way of disenfranchising voters but um in the end harris county came out in record numbers record 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 numbers and it was incredible and and the other work most of the work that we did was uh in los angeles as well and we had some huge wins here or have we have some huge wins here and of course we got to get to implementation but um i love bridging the gap and made it, seeing the liberators here. I've, I've brought some of them to Houston to meet the liberators that I know in Houston and trying to, so there's some successes in Houston. They, they ended cash bail in Harris County uh, for class C misdemeanors before uh, Los Angeles, before uh, California. So there's certain things that, you know, we're trying to mirror or replicate or collaborate on uh, for the freedom of our people. Kendrick, thank you again for being here. We talk so much about authenticity and you have been your authentic self. But my question is, is when you're in the industry, sometimes there's backlash for that. Um, I think of people who have paved the way for us, like Muhammad Ali, you know, in our time, you know, Jamil Hill. Uh, We've also seen Colin Kaepernick take, you know, we all know a huge blow for speaking up and helping and doing what is right. Have you lost anything because of your authentic voice and using it in this space and time? Um, well, I'll say probably most of the stuff that I lost, I won't ever know, right? There's a whole bunch of people that I'm sure just, you know, when my name comes up, they're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I don't want that. Maybe. I don't want that trouble. Um, so, like, if they disagree with me, they probably do. That's Especially, good trouble. It's good trouble, yeah. yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just kind of like, if if people don't want to work with me because I'm fighting for liberation, and if they don't want to work with me because of my politics, because of 
how passionate I am about vulnerable people and, and making sure that people are okay, then um, that ain't a collaboration that, that belongs in my life. Um, and it's outside of my purpose and I'm definitely not gonna try to force it because I'll be miserable and the product will probably be miserable to watch. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, um, but yeah, definitely have had some opportunities go away just because I, one, a lot of the time it's me, it's me saying it's not worth it, right? Um, yeah. I have to be on set every day with these people. I have to live with whatever the final product is for the rest of my life. It's my face on it, right? Um, my voice. And technically, you know, we look at votes as not just the thing cast at the ballot, but where you spend your money, where you spend your time and what you approve of or show your approval of. And so if I'm involved in certain things, I'm like, nah. But you know what? As you answer that, I start to think about what's the flip side of that? Do you feel like or have you received or gained any new platforms or jobs because of your voice and how outspoken you are? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm trying to think of them right now, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure, uh, there's been some, you know, like endorsement collaborations and stuff like that, that now it's, it's more trendy to be completely honest, you know, to be transparent. It's more trendy for people to be involved in good causes. There are still a lot of people that once they really dig into and listen to what I'm saying that are like, oh, well, we, we just meant, you know, be nice and be- Let's just do this for one year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how deep I want to get into this relationship, but um, but for the most part, a lot of people have brought me in to talk to their corporations, to their, mm-hmm. you know, to studios, to talk about, there's like a, um, you get a consultant or you know, yes, and a yes. stamp of approval we, as well. I do like, the same job, by the way. So I'm sure I you do. And I, I started, I started, I always tell people this and, you know, somebody goes steal my idea because I keep on talking about it um, in public. But um, I want to start this show called You Can't Afford Me um, <laughs> because it's like all these black people in these institutions that are taking on multiple jobs, right? They have to do their job but also advocate for people in their position. And then they have to be interviewed every once in a while for what their experience is in the company and all this stuff. I'm like, you need to give them multiple assistance. You need to, you know, you can't afford them. Right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That reminds me of the Key and Peele skit where it's like the anger translator. Like, I feel like there's so many cultural translators out there in corporate America now, but hey, run me my money. Everybody get a piece of that. Um, even though the burden sometimes is tough because we're constantly in this position of having to educate. And sometimes like, you know, this show, we're talking about self-care and we always have to put ourselves first because, you know, people are dealing with a lot of different emotional traumas, but you've been really in, and I want to talk about actually the traumas that people have dealt with as a consequence of trying to empower themselves and empower others, because like you've been in the trenches, like the trenches, trenches. And I remember there were some headlines this summer uh, where you revealed that you had been shot seven times with rubber bullets, if I'm correct, uh, during the protest in the aftermath of George Floyd. Mm. Can you share what that experience was like? Because a lot of people, like, I think we can all understand when you go on set, when we step on the court, you know, we're wearing our jerseys and people easily identify us. But once we step outside of our arena as a player, wherever we perform, we're part of the masses for a big portion of society. So you going out there, it's like, we're just one of many and people sort of, don't understand that 
that has real consequences and you were one of those people that had to suffer from that. Yeah. Um, well, there's actually two sides to that. And I'll touch on three points. One, what you said, part of what I, what I mean when I say you can't afford me is you can't afford our generational trauma. Most of the time they're bringing us in to re-traumatize us for their own benefit so they can feel guilty for a second and feel like they did their work or to take you know, what they, whatever these experiences and try to apply it to something. And they're not valuing, they're not showing an actual value to the people. So you can't, our actual trauma that we experience every day and our generational trauma, there's no way you can quantify that, right? Um, you could try though. Uh, and give me that money. But um, but when it, when it comes to going out into the streets and experiencing that type of trauma, being beat up by cops and stuff, um, you know, one, it's not the first time in Houston I've, you know, experienced police uh, misconduct, corruption, br- brutality, right, uh, growing up. And, you know, I also was at Standing Rock, right? Um, I've experienced police harassment. I was here as a kid in L.A., well, 18, right? And, you know, living in um, South L.A., right? So there's, you know, trauma that already comes with that. And then we're getting out into the streets. It's not like, I know a lot of white people are like, man, this is crazy. This is the first time we did it. But we've had that. We're going out with an extra layer already of fear um, and trauma when we're going out into the streets to protest. And there's an extra layer of uh, purpose, right? Um, And passion. And there, I think, yes, one, they don't know who you are, right? But the other thing is when they find out, um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is they think that our platforms protect us. And there are some things that we are afforded, privileges that we are afforded for being so visible. Sometimes the visibility uh, is protective, Sometimes the money that we get can afford uh, private security. Most of us cannot afford private security just because you're popular don't mean you have the money, right? (laughs) Um, But some people can. What people don't realize, though, is it also opens you up at the same time to being more vulnerable, right? To more people searching for your information online, doxing you, figuring out where you live, sending you, I've gotten some weird you know, packages and stuff and um, and threats online and, and death threats. And I think during that protest, I think for a second, the first few hits I got was because I was uh, just another dude on the street. But I think when CNN actually picked up my live stream, um, not I think, I know, they started pointing me out and targeting me which is why I think I got hit so many times. They tried to snatch my phone a few times. So it was both, right? You know, you are just another dude on the street. You're just another woman on the street. And especially if you're Black, um, or it's just another Black person driving a car, just like any any other day, in any other experience. But also when they do find out, and when they find out you're someone <laughs> like, like me, who is clearly anti-police, right? who is an abolitionist, a proud abolitionist, who believes that they should be replaced with the system that actually cares um, about us and is founded in care and accountability for our communities. Um, There's a different level of of, um, vulnerability that might happen that I'm opened up to. Wow. I mean, there's so much there. That was awesome. Great answer. 
I followed through the one, two, three. <laughs> so I want to switch just a little bit. On Insecure, you play Nathan, yeah. a love interest uh, for the lead character, Issa Rae. Well, Issa, she ain't Issa Rae on there. Is she considered Issa She's Rae Issa on there? Just Issa, D. right? Issa D. Yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> love the show. Huge fan. I get so mad that it's only 30 minutes. I'm always probably one of those ones who's like, why can't they make this show longer? Great show. Love it. So your character was revealed in the show to be living with bipolar disorder um, the last season. The mental illness is rarely talked about. I mean, especially in major stages like insecure, especially when it comes to black men dealing with mental illness. What did it mean for you to, to tackle that role? And I don't know if it's just me or not, because you went back to Texas on the show. I feel like so much of it feels like, I mean, you were an activist on the show. I'm like, now is this show about his life or is he really acting or is he just show up and just be himself? So can you give us some clarity on, Yeah. first off, the disorder, the mental illness and mental health that people are dealing with and then uh, the character and how closely maybe it relates to you personally? So as far as I know, obviously I don't write it, so they could decide anything at any point, but... Nathan is not necessarily an activist, but he is uh, a community like advocate. Yeah. Like I think he's he's opening this space up for people. He wants to do good things. He's more along philanthropy, right? Um, yes. And encouraging entrepreneurship. And um, I think he and him and Issa have that in common. Um, but it it was a little strange because it wasn't written for me. But to come into this role. And they had they talking about Houston, uh, talking about, you know, barbecue and how ain't no good barbecue in L.A. And, facts. and you right. know, all this stuff. Hey, no, that is not facts, by the way. <laughs> Phillips, Crenshaw, you better get moving around out there. No, but go ahead. Uh, but I was like, I was like, I've had all these conversations before. Um, <laughs> like, word for word, I'm sitting there like, yeah, like. You know, I was like, what's the difference between the Valley and L.A. when I first got here? Now I know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I um, you know, I, there was a lot of similarities. That, yeah. But there's also huge differences. Right. I do not uh, have bipolar disorder. Uh, that is not one of the issues I struggle with. But I do struggle <laughs> with anxiety. Right. And my brother uh, struggles with uh, bipolar disorder and and went really? through the full gamut of different yeah, misdiagnoses and manic depression and all of this such right and different uh medicines and i've got people who are dealing with schizophrenia who like all a full spectrum of folks uh in my family of loved ones people that are dealing with these issues um in many different facets some are white some are black some are mexican and they all have different, they, it, all cultures deal with it differently. And there are nuances within all of it. And I think it's something that really needs to be talked about in the Black community. And that's, and this afforded me a platform. Again, one of the things that is really strange is I'm most passionate about mental health. When I'm talking about ending state violence, when I'm talking about all of the activism that I'm moving towards and liberation for people, I always look at it uh, through the framework of trauma and how to heal from that trauma and what systems we need in place to give us the tools to heal from that trauma and be well. 
and thrive. And part of that thriving is spiritual and mental health, right? So that is, you know, something that it afforded me a platform and a character and a, a, a narrative to, to talk about something that I'm so passionate about. It's okay, Kendrick. All these non, you know, Texans out here getting their feelings when we start telling them the truth about food, okay? So- <laughs> wait, but wait, before you, wait, Janae, don't, y'all better stop talking about that, like, period. Especially both of y'all out there, you know. I know we but out wait. here now. But I got I to gotta follow up for you on that, because Kendrick, when you talk about mental health and the fact that you experienced that in your family, my question is really, how did you educate yourself about it? or And what is your educational background? Because I feel like when I've listened to you talk before having this conversation today, things that I've read, things that you post about, following you on IG, of course, and as a fan... I'm like, there's certain times you hear certain brothers where you're like, I, I like that brother. Like I'm feeling him because he's dropping knowledge and he's he's educating us about some things we know, some things I've learned through my education, but it's always just, I don't know, there may be a group of us, because I don't know right now, we're the state that our country's in, <laughs> but a group of us who really appreciate knowledge, you know, real facts and, and being educated. And I, and I see that in you as I follow you. What is your background in terms of having so much knowledge about that? Is that just life experience or did you also get an education in the back, in the back, any of these backgrounds? So I did not go to college. I did not go to higher, any higher learning institution. Um, I wanted to, I always planned to, that was, that was the plan. It was always the plan. Um, I actually moved to LA thinking I was going to establish my residency, go to UCLA. Um, but oh, damn. <laughs> all right, go ahead. She USC. <laughs> That's what I thought go was gonna happen, but okay. I ended up not. <laughs> I ended up not uh, not doing that. I got caught up in in the work and and um, you know, just finding a bunch of classes that I could focus on and kind of make my own conservatory like experience mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of acting classes, right? And I would, uh, you know, I had cheap rent. And I would clean up around the studios for free classes and transcribe scenes and do those types of things. But um, my education in like psychology and such came from watching my mom and my brother and my dad and family members struggle with mental health and go through um, some that were institutionalized. And I was always about research and getting to the root of the problem. Always. So I I would just wanted to know what are these medicines? Why are they? So a lot of it was my own personal research. Mm -hmm. And then I took a psychology class in AP psychology class in in my senior year in high school. Ended up dropping out of that because senioritis is real. And I was like, early too. I was like, I ain't about to be no psychologist. So um and then I started actually when I was 18, I, uh, a mentor of mine, Pastor Frank Wilson, who's also from H-Town, but lived in L.A. Um, and my first time in L.A., he became my pastor through this uh, a, an amazing person, uh, Marilyn Bobian, that I call my sister. And I met him and he became my pastor. And he said, you know, he started talking about the homeless, the houseless problem here. And for Christmas, he was like, what would you do uh, if people came to your birthday and asked for presents? And that was the challenge for us that year to not take any presents on Christmas and do what Jesus would like on his birthday, right? 
And so we went to the homeless shelter and I was so impacted by the experience of serving and dropping my ego because my fir- the first thing that I was thinking when they were like, I don't want no gravy on this or whatever was, you better take what you could get, right? And then it was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, that's your test, right? Like you drop that ego that you're here to serve, so serve, right? And I actually spent a lot of time in the homeless shelters realizing that that was philanthropy, right? That that was the Band-Aids that, you know, and charity. But how do we get to the root of the problem? The criminalization of homelessness, the lack of resources when we have plenty of resources to give, to, to solve this crisis, the lack of housing, the mental health crisis, the huge mental health crisis, substance abuse recovery, and the criminalization of substance abuse and so many things. And through that, I actually found the Black Lives Matter movement and moved into grassroots activism. But, uh, you know, studying the effects of, you know, mental health on and just like speaking to people and understanding what, why they were on the street and what happened and, and some of them not even realizing and not me being able to, to see that they had the same problem my brother had. They had the same right. problem they that I identify had, with it. But yes. I got, I had a mom, you know, or somebody who could recognize it because she wanted to be a counselor. She wanted to be, um, you know, and I'm getting too long into it, but my uncle uh, died of AIDS and it was because of drugs, right? He used the needle and um, and so my mom actually wanted to become a drug counselor. And so there was some of the psychology there. And also I went to, uh, Ivana Chubbuck, uh, who was an acting coach and her technique is steeped in psychology. So I've studied it in my own capacity extensively. Right. Um, and that's, that's where that knowledge comes from in trying to solve my own problems and others. That's really a beautiful thing because I think there are a lot of stigmas when it comes to our generation, the millennials, where it's like you have to go to school or you have to follow these pathways to success in order to be knowledgeable. Like, no, go find the information where it's at. Do what you have with what, you know, with whatever you're trying to intend with your passions. And so I respect all of that. And most importantly, like what I've seen and heard, especially when it comes to you and your family, is that you guys are so engaged. Like, it's not that something is happening. You know, it's finding out why and educating yourself and following that through and just hearing all the different movements and organizations that you've been at the center of, um, especially when it comes to, you know, major criminal justice and police reform. I saw how you said injustice system. I, I'm going to feel that. <laughs> I heard that before. Like, that's, a good, that's a good way to frame it so people know from the jump. Um, but you've just done so a lot you of know great- where I stand. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what, you, what energy you're on. And I was like, okay, I'm stealing that. But you've been at the center of things. We talked about Houston and you've done it also in LA. And I think, you know, we've really seen some major wins, right? Progressive wins on ballot initiatives, especially this election. I think, you know, starting with Prop 17, which now will allow, I think, 50,000 or so Californians to vote. Um, Prop 20, which has, you know, would have toughened criminal sentencing was blocked, which is nice, right? Uh, For our community. And then also Measure J, which was passed, which will, I believe, divert, you know, more county money to social services, um, jail diversion uh, programs, especially in LA. So, You know, and then I think a lot of people have been identifying sources of problems in the sense that, you know, District Attorney Jackie Lacey, um, who has a problematic history, um, now she was, uh, I believe, what is it, booted out of office? So 
Now, um, there's so many wins happening, you know, when it comes to advocating and finding creative solutions for people, at least here in Los Angeles. Yes, LA, giving LA some love, Lisa. Um, do you, you think that this is the beginning? <laughs> I know. Right? Do you think this is the beginning of a shift happening where like, we're no longer waiting on the sidelines. It's activism now taking action and change is actually possible. We don't have to wait for people to do it. We can do it ourselves. So, um, Short answer, yes. Uh, I, but I, I do want to be really clear that it's it, this shift has been happening for a while, right? So um, I got involved with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles um, 2015 and, you know, have been going to protest at the police commission meeting. Uh, Jackie Lacey protests have been every Wednesday for three years. And we sustained it and it grew exponentially after George Floyd um, and, you know, we collaborated with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, Build Power collaborated with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles to bring attention to that and to get people out there and to get celebrities in Hollywood out there. And, um, and also to bring attention, we were on the steering committee for Measure J to show people we were, you know, there's the People's Budget LA that was, you know, the work that was done by organizers here led by Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and Dr. Melina Abdullah, who is incredible, and Patrice Cullors, who's incredible. And that lifted up budget talk into the, into the zeitgeist. People are talking about budgets. The least sexy thing about politics and, or anything, like we're talking about budgets in our everyday language. What, how much of money is allotted? And people are understanding that oppression is baked into our budgets, right? Mm. Why do we spend 54% of our budget on police um, in Los Angeles? Uh, I think in Houston, it's 45%, 50%, something like that. And Sylvester uh, actually voted for more. Uh, Sylvester Turner, in the middle of a pandemic, same thing with Eric Garcetti. It's happening in every municipality, right? Where crime was going down during a pandemic, and they were voting for millions more dollars for police. And it's like, this doesn't add up. We need that money to relieve people of their rent. We need that money to heal people. We need mental health. For the homeless. Yes, house the homeless. And, and more than ever, everybody's in quarantine and they are trapped with their insecurities and their fears and their mental health is being exacerbated. We need mental health care more than ever. And we don't have the infrastructure for that. Our infrastructure in all cities, especially all major cities across the U.S., our infrastructure for mental health care is jails and police. You're 16 times more likely to die at the hands of police if you're experiencing a mental health episode, right? So this is something that we were looking at and lifting up, and now people are paying attention to budgets. But this is a long time coming, right? This is organizing and unprecedented organizing. Um, that happened this year, mostly by Black and Brown folks, right? And Black women, right? Um, incredible Black women all over the country, and especially here in Los Angeles, some unprecedented organizing happened and saw the opportunity um, because of what happened with Measure R and shutting down these prisons and utilizing that money for alternatives to incarceration and research to moving into Measure J, which is like Measure R 2.0, um, reserving 10% of the budget. This is wild to me that it hasn't ever been thought of before. 10% of the budget for the things that our community needs most, housing, jobs, and healthcare. 
and with the framework of alternatives to incarceration, restorative justice, mental health care, and such, right? That's incredible. That's up to a billion dollars. And this is the largest county in the United States. So 10% is a huge amount, but it's a floor, right? This is, we've now raised the floor to 10%. We deserve the whole budget for our communities, right? Um, and within that, sheriff's associations and police associations invested $3 million, over $3 million, what am I talking about? Millions of dollars in trying to defeat this measure because it said that that money can't go to sheriff's department, probation, courts, or any oppressive institution. They had to go be treated as a health thing, right? A housing thing. The departments that specialize in these things, um, which is incredible. And I think what I want to lift up most of all is they invested a whole lot of money in Jackie Lacey. If you've got any flyer in your mail, you'll see at the bottom of it, sheriff's associations and police associations. They spent a whole lot of money to put into passing uh, Prop 25 and Prop 20. They put millions and millions of dollars into defeating Measure J. They lost. We embarrassed them on a national stage. We did not have millions of dollars, but we had people power. So absolutely, it shows that now... This should be the baseline for our level of engagement moving forward, period, right? <laughs> like, we shouldn't ever diminish back down, get complacent. Um, this should be our base level of engagement nationwide to make sure that we have the resources that we need for our communities. A hundred percent. And like, carry that baton and keep it going. It's like, all right, we prove we can do this. Like, don't, no turning back now. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, before we get to our fun part where we do rapid fire, which, by the way, all your answers have been fun. Like, and also you a pastor, too. Maybe that's the next <laughs> role. That's the next role you're going to step into. But, I, you know, I'm just super curious because you dedicate so much of your time, your energy, your body, even what we've seen throughout this, you know, the protests and all that type of stuff to advocating for others. But we talk about self-care. How do you take care of yourself? Because it's funny. I always wonder, like, you're what I go to. TV, watching shows is what I go to, to decompress. What do you do when that's your job? Right. Um, well, uh, I'm not great at it. I will say that. I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I can talk about it all day, but I'm, I'm getting better at it. And here's how it kind of clicked with me. One, what we were just talking about, right? If everybody participates, we don't all have to be so exhausted. We all have our purpose and our role in this fight. We all have privileges and we should be utilizing everything, even at our jobs, whatever it is, as a tool for liberation. Our vote is one tool, right? The vote is one day. It's a long campaign, but it's one day and it's one tool. We have tools galore that we need to utilize that we are not utilizing, right? In the movement, when you talk about Ella Baker, right? Um, Dr. Melina Abdullah always talks about this. She says, it's not, nobody ever voted their way to freedom, right? <laughs> you have to vote and organize all the time. Uh, Ella Baker used to say, we talk about group-centered leadership. It's not a single focused leadership that this model of patriarchy and white supremacy has taught us, right? It is everybody has their role, right? In war, right, you have shooters and such, right? But you have mechanics, you have tech people, you have, you know, all types of cooks, uh, people that are the cleanup crew, you have so many people. And so when you're, when we're talking about organizing, um, we all have a role to play. And if everybody, you know, somebody has to watch the kids, somebody has to collect and put um, data into Excel, 
documents, right? Somebody has to be the tech support, right? So uh, apologies if I don't remember your name, but uh, someone was helping me earlier trying to figure out my audio, right? Mm-hmm. That that needs to be done. We have all these Zoom calls, right, to organize. And so everybody has a role to play. And that is part of the self-care. If everybody does their part, then nobody has to live too much. So we need to get more people involved. But the other thing is, and I've been saying this a lot, and uh, all of us right now are tuned into CNN, and, and I say all of us minus me, because uh, I made a commitment, you know, CNN, MSNBC, and all of this. The news is a business, and it's about ratings, right? And so it is intended and designed to drive up your adrenaline and your anxiety so that you stay tuned in, right? It's not healthy. The news will be the same tomorrow, I guarantee you, right? <laughs> like you can, you don't have to stay tuned in for every single, that is not effective. And I had somebody check me on this basically because I was so tired, I was so exhausted. And he was like, how are you making clear-minded decisions? How are you making the best uh, decisions, right? Whether you want to call yourself a leader or not, uh, so sometimes I like back away at that. And he's like, whether you want to call yourself a leader or not, people are looking at you and making their decisions based on what you do, right? So you need to be making the best decisions possible, the wisest decisions possible. So if you're going to do that, you have to have a clear mind. So since then, I've been keeping a log of my sleep. I've been meditating in the morning. I don't look at my phone for the first, at least the first hour, if not two hours. I meditate, I pray, and I get my strategy together for the day. I brief with, you know, my folks, and then I move forward. And at the end of the day, I do my best to take an hour uh, for me and Mm -hmm. before I get ready for bed. Um, But that helps, you know, make clear-minded decisions, not just be on the go, 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 go and allow the oppressor to dictate my agenda, to dictate my actions and always throw me off my game because that's what it's been for four years, right? Kendrick, you didn't just drop so much knowledge (laughs) on us, so much inspiration. Again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with Chanae and I, but we gotta ask you, our rapid fire questions, all of our guests have done, so don't panic, it's real quick. (laughs) So get ready. Here we go. First question. What book is on your nightstand right now? I ain't got no nightstand. I'm still. (laughs) You read a book lately? Any book? What book is on your floor? I'm still trying to furnish my place. Um, Oh, you ain't got time right now. Okay. I have have a book. I'll think about it in a second. Go ahead. How about this? What is your biggest splurge? Food. Oh, good answer. Mm Mm-hmm. You yeah. have a favorite spot? You a foodie? Yeah, food <laughs> makes my 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 just makes my life. That, that's how I've gotten through this quarantine mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, food. <laughs> okay, so what are three things eight year old Kendrick would have in your pockets? Eight year old, eight's eight my year favorite. Old. Eight's my favorite number. I would have had um, probably a National Geographic card. I used to have these little animal fat cards. Don't judge me. <gasps> Uh, but oh, nerd, <laughs> I definitely had an animal fat card. I probably had uh, my glasses, uh, you know, the connector hook thing. Holder, oh, I yeah, had yeah. one of those too. <laughs> I probably had that, and um, I don't know, probably like Lucas. 
Remember the Lucas? The... What's Lucas? You remember? Oh, when... the Lucas oh, you pour, the... you pour, yeah. and then you lick. Yeah, yeah. It's no, a Texas yeah. thing. It's like a yeah. spicy thing. So you have the like yeah. little hot candy. That you... Oh that's my like, god, that's like tahini now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like tahini. Kind of. Like... I know what you're talking about. Back in the day, though, we, okay, we so, had that in Compton. I'm, sorry. I'm actually from Compton, California. Compton is too. definitely tahini. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Um, I have to go there because, like, growing up with the glasses and the glasses holder, how was the switch up with the glow up? How was that transition? for you i still got my glasses so uh, and i'm still <laughs> blind i cannot uh the government will not allow me to drive without my contacts <laughs> or corrective lenses on wow really um, you had thick glasses i had thick glasses i have thick glasses um what's your so, what's, what's the number the, i'm minus two, 4.25 4.5 yeah we're about the same i think mine oh four. dang i'm that bad too Jeez. i think minus four yeah and some thick glasses. <laughs> um, oh wow! But it's it's legally legally blind. Like you can't see the big E. Oh, oh wow. snap! I can see it though, but I mean, it's all good, fam. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> like we like, oh dang! You got what color are your eyes? They're like green, gray, or something. And they change colors, and then you can't see. Mm-mm. Hazel, actually, that's it's usually a sign of a deficiency, I believe. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So are they hazel? What color hazel. are your eyes? Hazel, yeah. Hazel. Okay. See? Wow. He can't stop teaching us stuff. This man, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about this? What is a talent that no one else knows you're good at? Um, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, one you can say on air. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the, way she's, the way she said it, I'm like, wait. <laughs> I'm decent at, uh, I'm decent at piano. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Nice. Can you sing too? Piano sing? No. I can sing. I can sing. I'm not, I ain't trying to be no singer, but I can sing. My Why whole can't family sings. do? My whole family okay. sings, so we had to. We had to. I ain't have oh, no choice. Nice. So who was the last person you kissed? Ooh. We all in your business now. Ooh. <laughs> that was before quarantine. I'm trying to think because, you know, them, <laughs> them, uh, Respiratory particles. <laughs> I've been like, <laughs> hey. So you uh, haven't had a quarantine bay? No, nah, not at all. Uh, I'm like really big germaphobe, which is a, uh, you know, I I'm not gonna get too deep into it, but it's it's definitely an accomplishment for me. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> the germaphobe or the accomplishment that you don't have a quarantine that bay? That I ain't got. I ain't. I have probably had sex twice uh, since March. So, um, look, you, know. you prioritizing the health and safety of others. Look at you. You're a leader I'm out here prior in the street. To, I ain't even going to lie. This is selfish. I am prior to prioritizing the health and safety of me. I heard that. I'm not mad. 100%. I want a quarantine bait, but, uh, but hell nah. Um, Facts. Yeah, there's only one aspect that I want of a quarantine bay. I ain't trying to have nobody else's life up in minds. Yes, uh, being responsible because you drive to LA, you look into your left, you're right, you're like, what are people doing? Mm-mm. You know, that's Mm-mm. been the hardest part. Mm-mm. How about this? Um, what is the song that is stuck in your head right now? Um, 
eat Toby Nguyen probably. Oh yes, Houston again. Look at this. <laughs> that's oh, probably that's the first gosh, one. I'm exhausted. <laughs> and then eat because you love food. Everything about Houston, Texas. Okay, last question before we let you go. And thank you so much for your time. What is your mantra that stays front and center in your life? Um, uh, always leave it better than you found it. Um, oh. that's the leave, leave it better than you found it. Meaning like every situation you go into, that's how I look at my activism, my purpose and everything. Leave this world better than you found it. Leave people better than you found them. Leave, leave every situation clean up. Um, I actually, I think in Compton went to somebody's grandma's house and they had it in their restroom and it just meant like clean up, like clean yeah. the seat. You better wipe the damn seat. Right. Um, but I sat there and and stared at that sign like my life has changed um yes. and and now i apply it to everything and i think about it every time i go in the restroom so i, mm-hmm. I ain't getting away from it um <laughs> but uh i also found out a couple of years ago that i wasn't applying it to myself so that's a, a self-care thing like if you're the only person in the room right are you going to leave you better than you found you right so that is my my mantra. I'm still trying to think about I who the mean, last person I kissed. Look, 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 I'm telling you, you, you just did that with this podcast, okay? <laughs> good, good. I, that's my goal. That's always my goal. You, you left it better today. Thank you again so much. Continue blessings to you. Continue inspiring us, giving us all this positive information, leading the way. Uh, you are w- raising the awareness, not of just black people, but of all people. And we really appreciate your time and you leaving front and center better than it was before you came. Hey, thank you. I appreciate y'all having me. And I just remembered the last person I kissed, but we ain't gonna talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> We made it, y'all. We made it. You know, not just our entire country this week, but also us on this podcast. That's our show. Make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Yes, ma'am. And don't forget to follow us. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa Leslie. And I am all over social media at Chine, C-H-I-N-E-Y. And make sure you throw us an email if you want to talk to us too front and center at bluewirepods.com. That is front and center at bluewirepods.com. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.